0: This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on you Good Humans? Welcome to guest episode number 82 of Good Humans Podcast. Today is going to be a fun one. If it's your first time tuning in today, thank you so much. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode i think you're gonna really like it if you are enjoying it please go and hit that like or subscribe button on whatever platform you use also you can hit five stars on both spotify and apple it does help us move up the ratings and i would absolutely love you for doing that also leave us a little review on apple podcast if you're enjoying it a massive thank you to our sponsor drink a rapper a a brain function drink and they've been helping us out and supporting this podcast for about seven months now and they're coming on board to help us out all year this year. Um, Just to be honest, so grateful to work with a brand that I seriously use every single day and see massive benefits from it. If you're a brain, if you're a brain, if you have a brain, I highly encourage you go check out drinkarepper.com, learn all about their product, take a bit better care of your brain this year. It's something that I'm, um, yeah, really seeing benefits from and I'm sure you will too. If you use the code goodhuman, you do get a massive 25% off, which is a huge discount. They are a very premium product and yeah, highly, highly recommend going and checking them out. If you do check them out and buy some, make sure you tag both myself and at drinkarepper on Instagram. I'd love to hear what you think of it and yeah, let us know how the brain drink goes for you. Also, if you do want to support the Good Human Factory and Good Humans podcast, my journey this year is going to be massive, big things on the horizon, which I can't wait for. But first, we need to get rid of a few of our old um, shirts and hoodies and a f- pairs of shorts which is sitting around in our warehouse because we've got a whole bunch of new merch coming in. So I've done a big special discount, actually. If you're listening to this podcast today, it comes out. You can go on to thegoodhumanfactory.com, use the code GOODFRIENDS, and you get a big 50% off, which is the biggest discount we will ever do. So make sure you go and use that. It's not going to be there all forever. So if you're listening on the first day, it'll be there. If not, use the code podcast and you do get 25% off always if you're a loyal listener to this episode and this podcast. All right, Brad Drybra, what an absolute bloody legend this guy is. Brad is um, a dude from Wollongong in Australia that I jumped on his podcast and was just so blown away by his story. And to be honest, the one thing I was blown away by was how good he is at speaking This guy is a storyteller like you've never seen and just a really unique guy. And I'm so inspired by what he's done. He was born with a rare genetic um, disease called cystic fibrosis, which he explains a whole lot more about. I'm not even going to try right now because I'll butcher it. He does talk a lot about it in the podcast, so you can get a bit more educated on it. But yeah, he's basically told by a doctor when he was born that, yeah, he's not going to have much of a life at all. Since then, he's gone on to be a successful real estate agent. But then after having some health complications and being in hospital, he met a guy by the name, I think it was Bernie, um, who was a guy that was terminally ill with cancer and about to pass away. And they'd sit in their hospital beds and chat to each other. And he basically realized that he wasn't ticking off his purpose in life by being a real estate agent, quit his job with a mortgage. And yeah, went after something different. He now hosts a podcast, which I've been a guest on. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, He's also a public speaker and just a guy who has a really inspiring story i love this chat i'm sure you will too please make sure you go on instagram tag both myself and brad the links will be in the show notes Um, i'm sure he'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about cystic fibrosis or if you just want to learn more about his story please reach out he's a very open guy and a bloody beautiful human let's jump straight into it welcome to good humans podcast brad Drybra
1: thanks so much for having me, brother. It's exciting to be here. you've been on my show, so to come back and now get to chat to you on yours is yeah it's a nice experience
0: yeah it's been um it's been really interesting watching your journey and getting to connect and people who are have a pretty similar mindset around trying to inspire and motivate people and share their story to yeah mm-hmm. really get people off their like off their ass and really getting after life and watching oh, yeah. your story and um hearing little bits about it has been really interesting, but I'm excited to. Yeah, get to know the story a bit better and get to probe your life a little bit after you got to probe mine on your podcast recently so the first question I do open a lot of my podcast with is what are you grateful for right now
1: my people definitely my people you know I've spent some time away the last six weeks just sort of holidaying, and a lot of it was solo and I think almost like this this feeling that first week of being solo of I think it was appreciation for my people but almost packaged as loneliness Mm. like i was there thinking far out my life is so much richer for my family um, my inner circle of mates the people who give so much value to me and that i want to give value back to so i'm I'm just so grateful that's an area of my life that doesn't feel like it has any resistance Mm. or any challenge is just i've got amazing people you could say good humans in my life and just extremely grateful for them always
0: Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so nice when people can recognize the importance of the people around them and really mm. show gratitude towards that. So yeah, good on you. Let's um let's jump into it. Your story is okay. very unique. You've got mm. a few turns along the way that are really interesting. And yeah, I'm excited to get to hear a bit more about it. So let's um rewind back to the start. Where'd you grow up? What was family life like as a bit as a kid and then kind of going into high school, what were the goals and dreams?
1: Yeah, well, I say I grew up in paradise on Earth. Um to other people it's called Wollongong and mate it's just such a beautiful area such a beautiful space and I was I was blessed I would say you know some people would say I'm biased but I believe that I was born into the best family on earth you know touching on before what I'm grateful for my people you know my family uh, are amazing my parents Darren and Diane were I'm their first child and they were as prepared as you ever could be to have a kid you know like they'd Built the dream home. They'd worked a couple jobs each and hustled so that they fully owned that home. There was no debt. You know, they were going to bring their first planned child into a world that was secure, full of love, had opportunity. And I was born on the 12th of April, 1996. I'm 26 now and um, born seemingly healthy, but at three weeks, they were told that I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. At the time, they didn't know what CF was, and whilst CF is the most common genetic illness in young Aussies, there's you know there's only a few thousand people in the country who have CF, so it's still very still very unknown. You know, it's a little bit misrepresented, you could even say. And you know, as I sat down with the first CF specialist at Westmead Children's Hospital um, just a few weeks after my birth, he said, "Your son will be better off with a terminal illness. Um, this will ruin his life." And they got up walked out of the room, never seen that man again and just decided then and there that that was not going to be their attitude. And you could almost say, you know, had my parents have listened to the words of a specialist, a professional in that field and believed it and then had a negative view for what my life looked like. I couldn't have blamed them, but I'm just so blessed and eternally grateful for the fact that they said, nah, like that's not the way we're going to look at this. That's not the way we're going to approach it. We're going to approach it with positivity. They found a doctor who shared that same vision as they did. And you could almost say that before I knew it, it's like the greatest lesson I could have learned in life, that what you believe is what you'll become. And they, they see my life as, you know, they didn't want my life to be another sad statistic or they didn't want me to be a prisoner of a hospital bed, which was the story of most kids with CF. And because of that, that hope that they had was literally bred into me and made I was you know, I was given no chance. I was told that I'd be lucky to make it out of my teenage years by that doctor. And, mate, like my early years were were nothing but a success story. They were, you know, state champion, sprinter, super athletic. You know, my health was supposed to be here. It was here. You know, like all the markers of what a healthy sh- kid should be doing. Like I was kicking those goals and kicking well past them. And it was this environment that was just so full of love and positivity and hope allowed me to wear my cf as a badge of honor and i know that's so much information in such a no, short no, no. space I think but is
0: incredible it just sets the scene really of your life that you've lived now
1: mate it, it is and i owe you know I owe everything i am to those people you know my, my dad my mum, and my little sister and i guarantee if i talk about it for too long i'll bloody come to tears because they mean the world to me and you know we we sit and we you know i've been reflecting a lot lately on my childhood you know, as I've been, I've been writing a lot and there was a question that probed me to really consider my childhood and look at it. And it asked to recall my first early memory. And, you know, I sat there for a couple of hours and I was thinking about my earliest memory. And I remember, literally I remember a day from three years of age where I know exactly what I was wearing. Like it was vivid. I was wearing a stripy t-shirt, corduroy blue overalls, a corduroy navy blue cap. I remember being next to my old man. He was mowing the lawns in our backyard and I was pushing a fake lawn next to him. It's the middle of summer. It's hot. We're sweating up. And I remember retiring from the lawns early because mum called me inside. I remember sitting down at our dining table, which is probably sim- very similar to what we're sitting at here now. And my mum's favorite sandwich growing up was also mine, which is a salmon and beetroot sandwich. Salmon and beetroot? Salmon and beetroot. Wow. Weird combo, but Weird. bloody outstanding. Never just tried to Even just tin salmon too, the best. She cut it in little triangle quarters for me, put it in front of me. And I remember just giving me a kiss on the forehead. And when it asked me to recall that memory, it asked me to recall how I felt in that moment. And I remember just feeling like loved, appreciated, just grateful, supported, and like I had no worries in the world. I felt safe. And it's funny because when I look at those things like love, gratitude, value, meaning, appreciation, all the things I'm searching for in life as a 26 year old man and so I just feel so grateful that throughout all of my childhood whether that was with my dad my mum, my sister my mates at school my extended family those feelings and those true examples of what love looks like of what meaning looks like of what good people look like and how they're represented were all there for me to experience so you know I've just got such fond memories of my childhood and my early years that I think have set me up and allowed me to face the challenges in my life with a real sense of positivity, with, you know, incredible resilience Mm. and I owe it to them.
0: Yeah. Wow, man. It's so special for you to be able to recall your story so well like that. And then I just want to touch on the fact that it's happened many times on this podcast and we hear it so many times that doctors give diagnoses of no hope. It's Mm. crazy how often that happens. Like, the doctors say, no, it's not possible. But then they're like, oh, it's a miracle. It's like the amount of times that you hear people like, oh, you shouldn't be walking or you shouldn't be this. Mm. But it's like, well, where's the optimism and where's that positive outlook that we know through so much great stuff from like positive psychology, stuff like Joe Dispenza meditations that we can heal ourselves and we can Mm. enrich our life if we yeah go with a positive mindset and so many doctors do seem to discount that
1: it's it's hard i guess
0: they're protecting themselves but also yeah it's
1: it's sad because i think you know i'm a massive believer in modern medicine right because it saved my life i take 30 to 50 tablets a day so without modern medicine i wouldn't be here but i truly believe hope is the best medicine Mm. like if you take hope from someone they've got nothing to fight for anymore and the fact that my parents gave me that hope, the fact that the f- the first doctor was negative, but they found this second doctor who is like a true hero of mine till this day. He actually passed a motor neuron disease, Dr. John Morton. Anyone in the CF world will look, will know him and just have the kindest words to say. And I remember specifically walking into his surgery every eight weeks or his clinic every eight weeks as a young kid. And the first thing he asked me every time I walked in, because I was an athletic kid, was not, how are you feeling? He'd always say, how many medals have you won this month, my boy? <laughs> and like that positivity and that hope that he gave me made me feel so at ease about what I was facing. It made me feel like it wasn't out of my control, which you know, as a young kid, especially as a young kid, or you know, as someone who feels like they've got a, a mountain to climb, if you feel like you're in control of it, you just make more sense of the situation. So, Mm. you know, I, I agree with you. It's really sad when I hear these diagnoses, and it's, it's why it's become part of my life mission to allow people, not just with cystic fibrosis, but people who face challenges to see that whilst I wasn't given hope, I found hope and that hope has led me to a place now where nothing's going to stop me, Yeah, you know, cause that for people is powerful.
0: Yeah, it's, this is going to come from way left field, but I read something yesterday, and I just weirdly related this to it, that when we go to school, we get told that basically there's like one answer to questions and problems. But once we get into the real world, there's hundreds of ways to solve certain problems. So, true. so to have, yeah, that mindset, I feel like it's drilled into you as a kid basically through school and then high school that like there's usually one answer to mm. a problem, whereas there's millions of ways to fix different problems. Not that your situation's a problem, but – different ways to manage the um, yeah the disease that you have. So can you explain maybe what cystic fibrosis is? To be honest, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty unclear of what it does because it'll obviously set up the rest of your story and explain to people the um, implications you've been juggling. So do you want to explain what it is and what it does to you?
1: For sure. So cystic fibrosis is a genetic illness, so you're born with it. Um, most people find out at three weeks through the Guthrie's test whether they have CF or not. There are rare cases where someone is missed in that process and finds out later in life but it's we we know everyone's born with it it's genetic right and cf is a defective gene so that defective gene is supposed to transport salt and water to the cell and the salt and water when it reaches the cell allows we think of mucus and we think our lungs our sinuses but mucus moves all around the body and when you don't have that salt and water transported to the cell mucus gets thicker and stickier and it sits on those organs and scars them and impairs the function. So in the lungs, that means it becomes a breeding ground for infection. And you know where infection lies, lungs are scarred, um, function is impaired, which means the capacity of the lungs and the ability to get air in and out is is impaired. Mm-hmm. And you know with infections, the lung cells start to die. It means that in the pancreas, digestive juices aren't released. So I take digestive enzymes every day. Everything I eat with protein or fat, my body, like yours would, doesn't have the capability to release the digestive enzyme required to absorb those nutrients. That's why a lot of people with CF struggle with their weight. Um, They struggle with their growth and their energy. And they often have to eat thousands and thousands of calories to actually maintain a healthy weight and to be able to go function and exercise and live a healthy life. And then it also, in some cases, which has been the case of my CF because I have, you know, there are different mutations of cystic fibrosis and for people who are listening to that going, what does that mean? Um, It's more so just different types, you Mm. could say. You know, like COVID would have different strains. CF has different strains of severity and I got the most severe but also the most common one. But then I also, what come with it was a side serving of liver disease and diabetes. So I've had liver disease from the age of nine, um, which means I can't drink, but it saves me a bunch of money on a night out hey sober, um, yeah sober sober crew, sober crew and <laughs> come hang out with me more. <laughs> exactly mate it makes life easier just watered hydrated always um and then you know the diabetes is something because of that impaired pancreas function that you know my body doesn't have a great capacity to handle my blood sugars and regulate them so you know there's all of these problems that come with cf and it is a very complex um, multi-organ disorder that you know makes it really challenging for people to battle and you know for a long time it was called the childhood's disease because people didn't make it out of their teenage years much like that doctor thought would Mm. be my my life story but you know cystic fibrosis in the last few years has taken leaps and bounds we're at a point where for a long time 41 was around the life expectancy for people in australia with cf and it's still very much the case but in the last two years you know some groundbreaking drugs, a drug called um, as people in the UK might affectionately know it, Caftrio, um, has really changed the game for a lot of people with CF. It's somewhat allowing that defective gene to kind of do its job. Um, so I've seen a bunch of people, including myself, an increase in that lung function and capacity, um, a lesser need for certain tablets, um, the degenerative nature of the disease slowing down and actually becoming quite stable. So there are very exciting times ahead for people with CF and the conversation has flipped from a lot of negative to a little more positive and that's exciting. It's that hope that we spoke about. So a big part of my fight is to make sure that that conversation keeps moving towards a more positive light. Um, but I guess if that's hopefully not too scientific for people to understand. No, I think I, so, I think yeah.
0: that's very well explained. I think people now will understand the challenges that you've had to face along your journey. and as we go through and you share some of the accolades that you have achieved and your yeah life story, it'll just maybe not make people empathize, but make people yeah empathize, realize that fuck, you've been carrying something that is debilitating and makes life ten x harder than everybody else who doesn't have um Mm. cf's life but you've managed to still live an enriched, positive life which is super inspiring to be honest so let's um let's go into high school what was high school like for you yeah how um how's the cf treating you once you're going through high school how are you managing it and yeah what are your goals like future looking like with career and whatnot
1: yeah it's funny i guess you could say my first dream as a as a child was to be batman my second was to be brad fittler or, or the closest thing to it. And then as I went into high school, it was to it was to like succeed in some sport, sort of sporting field. I think as I reached high school, you know, people catch up in terms of their natural and athletic ability. And, you know, I was definitely not one of the guys who was six foot with a beard and muscles in high school. I was quite a baby face. And so those athletic dreams were kind of starting to seem – Not unrealistic, but like a little bit more out of reach because of my liver disease, I wasn't playing rugby league anymore. I was told I had to stop because the contact to the liver could have ruptured it. So I was now starting to come to grips with the fact that my life probably looked more professionally focused than of a sporting nature. So I was really passionate about health and the body because of my CF and how much those things kept me well. So I actually thought leaving school, I was going to be in probably the health science area you know, studying training and performance, um, you know, and that's another story and things went a different direction. But I guess as far as my mentality and my, my life in high school, I was very social. If you can't tell, anyone who has a podcast usually loves a chat. Yeah. I've always loved a chat. And probably the thing I've always identified with is a passion for storytelling. And so that was a big part of my my youth and especially my adolescence. I love sharing stories and pumping people up and talking about different things and, getting creative with how I shared those stories, very um, very big imagination and probably a little bit, you know, always add a little bit of GST or a bit of mayo to a story. But I think for me probably the biggest challenge of high school was not my CF, it was in a great place and I was still really unchallenged even though I had all of these things on my medical, you know, documents that were like supposed to be big challenges and control. roadblocks. I was really under control. But the thing you know, it was a challenge in high school and I'll say it's probably still even a challenge today is a little bit of this negative self-talk started to creep in. You know, I was one of those people who struggled a little bit more with their skin in high school and, you know, my skin would not always break out but it would every now and then just flare up really bad and I'd go from being this super confident charismatic character who was bouncing off the walls and chatting to everyone and like, you know, like I'd, I'd like someone I'd go on a couple of dates with them and all of a sudden my skin would break out. And I just shelve all that confidence, get super insecure. I go into my circle, go into my shell and really outside of my close mates. Like I didn't associate with anyone. Mm. Like I, w- I really pipe down and I was so stressed that people would value me and judge me based off how my skin looked. Even so much so that right now there's probably people looking at me through this camera if they're watching. And you can see that like I've got like a massive, like a ginormous pimple just coming up on my chin, Right. I can't even and, see it. No, oh, mate, on. I can see it. and It's in my head, right? And I'm thinking <laughs> the other day when you're like Thursday, I'm like, oh, like I've got the biggest pimple coming through. People are going to be looking at me oh. thinking, what would this bloke know about life if he's got that giant pimple on his face? Isn't it funny, you know, the stories we tell ourselves? The stories we tell ourselves, those narratives, and those narratives were definitely a part of my adolescence. and And it probably started to beat my confidence down a little bit. And whilst the people in my life, my family, my friends, were always pumping me up, started to let that thing inside of my head that little bit of negativity build and sort of it started like a snowball just getting like a little bit bigger and yeah. greater and with that, a little bit of complacency for where my health is at and you know a little bit of focus on other stuff started to sort of shift my life um, not in a negative direction but a little away from the positivity and the optimism that I had in my youth and you know I left high school at 16 I was quite naturally I'd say it was kind of a little bit of natural intelligence and smarts that got me through, but I was not naive to think that I could scave through my HSE without studying like I had the rest of my school career. So I left and I entered the PT industry for a couple of years and done a little bit of that in my late teens and then ultimately found my way into real estate as a 20-year-old.
0: Wow. Good on you for being brave enough to share that because I feel like so many people relate body image issues with women, especially Mm -hmm. young women. But for someone like yourself, a man, and I haven't really, it's something that I can really relate to. I remember being in high school, having like a breakout of a few pimples and just being like, not wanting to go to school, just like so embarrassed. Mm. Like your pop wanted to be bleeding. You'd be like, oh, yeah. like,
1: nah. Not like, I used to get like these Everest style pimples, like cystic pimples, right? And I would be so self-conscious. I would literally, I remember I would go to school. I don't know if I've even really shared this before, but I feel like, You know, spoke about vulnerability and something I said to myself this morning before coming here because I was self-conscious about this, my skin. I didn't even notice it. I was like, I'm going to be vulnerable because I feel like it takes the power away from that negativity. Mm. And so, I'm like, you know, I want to be vulnerable about it on the pod and, you know, to even be more vulnerable about that time at school, you know, I'd get these really bad breakouts and- it was hard for me to take certain medications to fix that stuff because, you know, I had to be wary of my liver and those mm. things, those issues with my CF. I mean, I would get these like little needles or blades and try to pop these things because I was so terrified that like I'd have to go to school the next day with it, which, you know, ultimately- Would make it worse. Don't take that advice. It yeah. makes it so <laughs> yeah. bad. And like it gets worse and like then I've got some scarring on my skin because of that. and. Nobody ever looks at that or values that because most people are worried about their own mm. pimples or, you know, <laughs> exactly. their own imperfections because we all have them. But I would start to create these bullshit stories and use my imagination around how I could explain why I was covering a massive pimple with a Band-Aid. Mm. So I'd be like, oh, bloody playing footy yesterday, you, dive, yeah, yeah. Scrape, you know, scrape my face and so I'm just covering up so it doesn't get infected. And people are like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. And, like, I would just say that out of the blue because I felt like people were looking. Not it would all. draw they attention to it. Ma- massively <laughs> yeah. draws attention yeah. to it. But yeah. it's, you know, it's that insecurity of, and I think for most people, even, you know, I'm 26 now, one of my biggest challenges is probably, you know, I, I feel like I have so much value to give in my career and what I do, you know, and the things that are related to my purpose. But those same things that I wear as a badge of honour in my career when I stand on stage to speak or when I sit behind the mic on a podcast are things that feel like insecurities, when it comes to relationships and, you know, my interactions with people day to day. So, you know, I think we all have those challenges and the more vulnerable you get with it, the more honest you get with yourself, give yourself a better chance of overcoming it.
0: Yeah. I love the part there where you started with and finished with the fact that being vulnerable kind of frees you of your flaws For sure, by verbalizing it. For one, it makes you feel silly that that's way yeah. your mind's perceiving a situation. But it's also like if you can own your flaws it gives you a backboard to actually improve on them whether it be your skin and being like you know what i'm going to try and drink more water i'm going to try and look into stuff by actually confronting and owning your flaws trying to like kind of shy away from them is the most powerful way to overcome it and nobody can hold it against you if you own it it's like exactly if you go oh fuck my bloody skin's breaking out again how's this shit pimple people might go oh yuck but it's like oh well at least it's out there it's like you've owned it like okay like if exactly you, nobody can hold against you something that you've owned especially when it comes to your flaws and taking like accountability with anything i've found is like one of the most freeing ways to slow that self-talk down
1: and i think we all we all look at other people and think that they are perfect mm. you know like it'd be easy to look at you know and because naturally right instagram social mm. media comes somewhat of a highlight rule because we like to share our good moments we yeah. like to to Share our good moments with the people we love and, and talk about them and celebrate them, you know, and that's only natural, and I don't think that's fine. Yeah. I don't think people should feel guilty for that at all, but with that, you know we all watch from the other end, we look through the other side of the screen and go, "Fire out right, coop's life's amazing, he's speaking on stage, he's out in the surf, you know he's going mm. to different events, so it looks like so much fun, but nobody recognizes your challenges in your natural life. nobody's perfect, mm. you've got imperfections, I've got a bloody bunch of them." You know, everyone does and everyone has things that they're insecure or feel challenged by mm. and it's just a natural part of being human yeah so you know the more we own them and we more the more we get comfortable um if we feel comfortable being vulnerable with people the more everyone frees up yeah so,
0: and i think it's important to note so often nowadays when it comes to social media so so much of the like vulnerability that's shown on social media is something that people wouldn't do to their best mate next to them but they'll do it on social media which in my mind, seems like such a cop-out. Like yeah. every now and then, maybe like once a year, I'll post something like kind of vulnerable. Yeah. But for me, it doesn't seem like the space for it. Mm. I think you need to be able to build the courage to be able to talk to your in a circle, to really have somebody to talk back to you rather than the platitudes and comments you get on a social media post. For but sure. then you're still sitting in your room crying by yourself it's like once we learn how to communicate with our circle mm. and build that structure in our circle of people around us that we can actually have those honest conversations that's where i feel like we really start stepping up rather than just the instagram yeah. post look this is me at my worst i'm not always like this i think there is a place for it for sure but yeah. yeah i just think so many people do that but then won't have a big tough conversation with their friend
1: i couldn't agree with you more Coop. like
0: and I've been a sucker for that too. I'm not pointing fingers. I've done yeah, that before where I've hard. been really struggling and I've posted on a story of me crying and just in my mind, I thought it was to mm. give permission to other people, but then I wasn't really even willing to go and sit and have that conversation with a friend. And it's something I'm really working on at the moment, those difficult conversations, which sometimes, yeah, obviously they're difficult conversations, but learning to have them really does open up a new dialogue and a new way to overcome situations.
1: I honestly couldn't agree with you more. I think it's so well said. And... One thing, I actually journaled something last week, right, that I think at times in my life where I've felt insecure, i felt like I'm challenged by something, I allow surface-level attention to almost be like a Band-Aid, a drug for that insecurity. Mm. But until you actually step into it in a real-life situation scenario and get really honest with it and get face-to-face with the people who are actually in your life, who are Mm. actually interacting with you face-to-face, you don't get any closer to overcoming that insecurity. You don't get any closer to getting truly comfortable with it where you feel like you can recognize it and work alongside it. And so, for me, I always go first to, you know, you might have heard I mentioned before and I heard you mention it too, the inner circle of people. It's like for me, there's 10 people in my life outside of my family, my 10 closest friends who I will go to to talk about these things because- I know it's a safe place and I can be vulnerable there and be received um, with love and and care and, you know, I know that they want to give me value as I want to give value to them. So they're the people I go to to talk about these things and I think unless you can have those conversations in that space or for some people if it's something that is really traumatic and feels super vulnerable Mm. with a professional, unless you can have those conversations in those environments, social media attention it's just a band-aid it'll only help you for so long before you realize you've still got bigger problems to deal with yeah
0: absolutely i love that little segment that was a fun little chat let's keep moving through your story though so you're 20 you find real estate what's that story there
1: mate my nan said to me you can talk you could probably sell ice to eskimos why don't you sell houses and you know she was right it was a it was something I enjoyed for a little while. I dived into it and I think naturally I enjoy things in the early stages because they're new and I'm learning. And, you know, the first six to 12 months of real estate, I was learning so much all the time. And with that sort of new knowledge come excitement, come, you know, all these fast steps in the right direction. And pretty quickly I went from being a young junior assistant agent to, you know, my own agent selling property within the first like six to six or so months of wow. that career in Wollongong and you know I started doing relatively well and then pretty soon on at about a year into my career um a guy that I'd met in Melbourne gave me an opportunity to come down and work at a high end agency down there which was for me a real challenge because I identified everything I was and everything that I am as like my family mm. so to move away from family felt like a real point of crisis a real point of challenge and I thought, you know what, I've got to do this because I'll always wonder. And so I left. I went down to Melbourne and I spent a year there and ultimately learned within that sort of ten months to a year that, you know, my people are really important to me, that my health had gone incredibly downhill. I was I wouldn't say I was I wasn't overweight, but I was definitely not healthy like I used to be. I wasn't putting time and energy into my my training and my health. The things that for me had kept me well for so long. Mm. And so now I'm I'm 22 I think at the time I feel lonely I, I work from nine to nine every day seven days a week pretty much and I'm coming home to my house to sit there and watch 30 minutes of how I met your mother feel like I've got a social life and I'm like who am I like I, I just remember that point in my life being so lonely I was so upset and all of these things that I thought I wanted at this point in my life like materialistic things like the nice houses and nice cars I had built this idea in my head that if I earn a lot of money, I'd be happy. Mm. And I realized that oh, actually, all the important things are those simple things I had back home, but forgot to appreciate while I had them. Yeah, so I went back to Wollongong and I spent a year and a half in real estate still, and I was just trying to find my feet again. It took sort of six months, but then I picked up a lot of momentum. And all of the goals that I'd had at the start of my career, and I know I'm jumping around a bit here, but I don't want to dwell on this period for too long. You know, all of the goals that I would had in my career, I started to kick in that year and a half back at home. Like I'd always had a goal to list four properties and sell four properties a month consistently, and I was starting to do that. I always had a goal to like sell some really nice homes, and I was doing that. I always had a goal to be an agent who got to be truly authentic. And build really honest relationships with clients and i was walking into houses you know i've got a lot of tattoos i was walking into houses with a t-shirt on jeans pair of sneakers and selling million dollar homes Mm. and like it felt like i almost felt like a little bit like a black sheet in the industry like i was very different but because of it i built really honest and true connections with my clients i cared about them they cared about me and even to this day i walk past many of them in the area and their kids know my name no, no, you know, I, I know that. where their kids go to school. We have like genuine connections and they all listen to the podcast now. F- so I'm really proud of that period. But in that period of my life, that especially that two years, that last two years of real estate, my health started to really challenge me. And to go back just a touch, like the first real challenge I had with my CF was at 18. I had pneumonia. And I remember I spent five weeks quite ill, three of them in hospital and lost nine kilos. Wow! And it was the first time that I went, oh, hold on, this CF thing isn't a joke. Mm. You know, like I've got to be careful here. And then every year there were these challenges and especially within this two years, you know, new lung infections and then my lung function was dropping and I'm starting to lose touch with my health and this degenerative nature of CF is now a part of my reality. Like I'm every year taking one step backwards, you know, where I used to be taking them forwards or at least maintaining that, you know, that good level of health. And it was one particular scare that really frightened me. I remember being quite sick and it sounds super gross, but when, you know, you're quite sick or you've got a lot of mucus in your lungs with CF, you usually spit in a cup, like golly in a cup essentially, and they test it to see if there's any infections in it. And I got a call from my doctor one day while I was at work to say that the infection they'd found in my lungs was um, an infection that could damage the cells of my lungs and ruin my chance of ever having a lung transplant if I needed them. And they said, we've got to act quick to get rid of this or it could be really dangerous for you long-term. And I remember it was just like the ultimate kick in the guts. It was almost like, you know, Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Fuck, mate, I just got floored. Like... Felt like I'd been sat on my ass and I'm like, I've taken all of this good health for granted in my early years. All that hard work I've done, I've let it slip by the wayside. And now I'm being told that the safety net of a lung transplant, which I never thought I'd need, I never even considered in my youth because I was so healthy. It might not even be an option. Might not even be there. Like, so mm. now I'm just free falling. And I went into hospital. It was so bad, like my immune system had really taken a hit that all my skin had broken out. Like I was really pale. Like I just felt really ill. And I went into hospital that week and it's funny, people don't like hospitals. I quite like them. I think for me, like time in hospital, it's usually like 14 days I'll stay in when I'm sick has always been like a bit of a retreat, an Mm. opportunity to reconnect with myself. Yeah. Reset. You know, what am I doing? What direction do I need to go in? And because of my CF, they always put me in a private room in the public hospital, so I can't get infections off other people. And it was this one particular week I met someone who has been somewhat life changing. His name was Ernie. He was in his, Ernie was in his late sixties, and my mum had actually sold him a car, and that's how we met in the hallway one day when my mum was visiting and. I started chatting to Ernie and he was in a room full of old fellas. And I said to Ernie, mate, if you ever want to chat, just come around and have a yarn. So I'm not kidding. Every day at like two o'clock, the tea and bicky cart would come around. I'd get my tea, my set of biscuits. Ernie's room was next door. And about two seconds later, he'd walk in with his cup of tea, a few bickies, and we'd sit down. I'd lie in bed. He'd sit on the chair next to me. We'd have a chat. And Ernie was a fascinating fella. He had terminal cancer. So he knew he was on his way out. And... He was a prison guard. He was a prison guard for guys like Ivan the Wow. And, you know, so we had all these very interesting stories to tell about these, you know, high-risk prisoners that he'd guarded and, you know, this crazy life that he lived. But once we got through the first one or two days of those sort of surface-level stories, we started to talk about life. And, you know, I recognize that Ernie, a guy who knew he was on his way out, spoke often about his kids, his grandkids. I think he'd been married three times and divorced three times. And he spoke fondly of all of his wives and like still had great relationships with them. He spoke about the things in life that weren't materialistic, that weren't, you know, these things that. Holidays he went on, the experiences he had. It was none of the bullshit, Cooper. It was just like the people that meant something to him and the memories that he had with those people. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, and for some people they love real estate. They're super passionate about it. I wasn't anymore. And I remember thinking, what am I doing with my life? You know, like, am I going to be the guy who makes a million bucks a year, drives a nice car that hates his life, that needs to make that million dollars to spend it on materialistic things that make me feel happy for five seconds so I can go on that one holiday a year, post it on Instagram and show the world that I'm happy? Mm. Because that's not me. I felt so off path. I didn't even, I had no recollection of what my purpose used to be, what used to make me happy, what I was passionate about. I was so out of touch. Mm. And so I sat there and I thought something has to change. And that something came through the form of a book, a book called The Alchemist, which is still my favorite book to this day. I haven't read it yet. I, read it. You you to read time, it. I can read it You told me it. I can read it. Yeah. I have to read it. My mom handed me this book when I was in hospital and I hate reading. I'm not a reader. I'm such a listener. Like I love listening to pods or listening to audiobooks. But I just thought, you know, something needs to change my life and I'm going to start reading this book, you know, just to start to build some healthy habits in my life. It wasn't even reading this book because I thought it was going to give me something I needed. It was just a healthy habit of reading in the morning before I started work. So I'd go to this cafe that was across the road from where my sister worked and I'd have a little half hour coffee with her in the morning. Then I'd read for half an hour over a coffee and a bagel before I started my work. And I'm reading this book and I'm enjoying it. I've never enjoyed reading before, but I'm enjoying this book. And the message of this book is, you know, without spoiling it for too many people, it's a young shepherd boy who, you know, circulates Spain with his sheep every year, shearing them, selling them, you know, selling the wool and, you know, just does that usual run. He's in the same routine all the time. And that's the life he chose. That's the life he feels he's bound to. And then he sold this dream that he's meant to find this great treasure at the pyramids. And, you know, so he sells his sheep. He decides to pursue that dream and he goes to Africa in search of this treasure. He meets the alchemist who allows him to, or helps him on that journey, you know, helps him through that process to find that great treasure. But the thing is, he doesn't find the treasure at the Great Pyramids. He finds it back under an old sycamore at a church that he used to sleep in in Spain. And for me, the message of that book is that. The treasure is in the simple things. It's, you know, in the air we have in our lungs, the people we have in our lives, the simple things that come for free that are within us and around us every day. But until you go on the journey, until you go on the quest of like doing something that feels purpose driven, that feels driven by what you need to go and experience in life, you'll never be able to appreciate those things. Mm. They don't have meaning yet. And so for me, as I finish the last page of that book, I say this with no exaggeration and no GST. I walked into my boss's office that day and I said to him, we need to chat. I need to finish. And I quit my job. Yeah. I just bought a house and I had a mortgage or an apartment. I had no idea how I was going to make money, but I was four episodes into a podcast journey. I knew I loved it. I knew that the messages I got off the back of some of those first very powerful, honest episodes felt better than any paycheck ever had. And I knew That for the first time in a long time, that connection I had with storytelling as a young kid, that want to uplift and inspire hope in others through my story and the story of others, that flame had been relit within my belly. And I thought, I don't know how, I don't know what it looks like, but I know I need to pursue this. And so two months later, I got my last paycheck from my real estate job, COVID hit, and I was in the thick of it.
0: Wow. So let's talk about that. It's it's so cool, man, that you have got like a crazy knack of storytelling. To be able to recount things from talking about Bernie in hospital to tying the Alchemist in you, you have a very, very fine art of storytelling, it. far better than me. But this next part of your story is what really excites me because you've done a few really big challenges um, when it comes to fitness, which we'll talk about your marathon, um, but then also taking that, plunge into sort of the deep mm-hmm. end and not really having any direction of how am I going to make this happen but it just felt right yeah for one how happy are you now and the direction you've taken any regrets and then what was that next chapter like
1: Mate, I'm so happy and and it's funny I used I think for me I focused on meaning first and I found happiness in true meaning right and I used to get confused I used to think that purpose was the same as goals and I think mm. that led me astray my whole life like goals are measurable and specific I didn't realize that purpose was this overarching thing, this thing that, the the thing that's allowed me to define my purpose really clearly is, um, I've heard Mel Robbins talk about purpose and she says that she thinks everyone has the same purpose, which is to be the truest, most authentic version of themselves and be seen as that. Mm. And I agree with her on one sense and one side of the coin, where I think that's a really good way to check that your purpose is actually for you, it's actually yours. Where, what I really love is what Jay Shetty says, and its purpose is identifying a passion and how you can use that passion in service of others. And I think those two things help, like, really help me go, this is definitely for me. It feels very authentic, it feels very true. And this is me finding a passion for storytelling and going, I can use this to uplift and inspire hope in others. Mm. And so I'm so happy. The last two and a half years of my life, and I don't say that lightly or to sound good on camera. Or, you know, to sound good when people are listen to this to go, oh, this guy's, you know, you know, he's he's figured it all out. Because I haven't figured it all out, but bloody hell I know I'm on the right direction. Mm. And it just feels so nice. The last two and a half years of my life have been the greatest two and a half years. The the challenges that have come with it, the learnings, um, all steps, stops in the direction of to where I am here today have just been so fruitful. Like I remember leaving the first couple of months were really weird because COVID was in the thick of it. And so I was podcasting a little bit on zoom and yeah. doing that sort of stuff and doing as much as I could. But my first priority was like, I need to get my health back on track. You know, I've been saying, you know, you always leave, you leave hospital and you go, this is the time I'm my health back on track. Like we do on so many occasions when we start a fad diet or mm. we start a new tra- training program, this is the time that I make it happen. And so I was like, no, this time I actually have to. I have to really dedicate myself to this process. So I started walking a little bit. You know, you could get out for an hour of a day. So I'd go for a walk around the beach and jump in the ocean pool and do a few laps after. And then I bumped into a mate and he goes, and I said to him, I'm trying to get the real estate dad bod back in check, you know. I've got to get the rig sorted. And he goes, you should come to this run club we've got when it's back open. And he said, literally, we're allowed back out in groups next week. You should come down. We go for a 5K run. We have an ice long black and a swim after. And I remember going, 5K run? Mate, I hate running. You're kidding Mm. yourself. Why would I want to do that? And he goes, mate, you're up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday anyways. Come down. You love a coffee. You love a swim. Just get it done. And I thought, you know what, I will. So that was a Sunday. This was early in the week. He said this to me. So I thought, on Thursday, I'm going to go for a 2K run just as a little warm-up, just to test where I'm at fitness-wise, and then I'll get there on Sunday. So I rock up for my 2K run, put my sneakers on. I reckon I got six to 800 meters in and I thought, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, it was close. I thought, fuck this. <laughs> I took my sneakers off, went for a dip and I thought, I've got no fucking idea how I'm getting through Sunday. So Sunday morning comes, I pick up one of my best mates, Zachy Bids, who you know. Yeah, yeah. And
0: he's a positive dude. And he's gonna such a, like, yeah, bro, he's amped, Yeah, good amped, energy. But
1: he's going to me, I'm fucking smashing you on this run. He's a fit bastard, right? He's like... I'm flogging you on this run. And I'm going, no shit, mate. I got cystic fibrosis (laughs) and can't even run a kilometer at the moment. I'm going, I know he is, but fuck, I don't want him to beat me. (laughs) So we're running. I'm struggling hard. Well at the back of the pack, right? All these lads are fit as fuck. There's about 20 people running, right? But I get to halfway. We're turning back into Pucky's trail to run towards home. And there Zach bit off his shin splints of doom on the floor, no. rolling around. And I've looked at him and just gone, <laughs> and just put my fucking head down. And I'm like, I'm beating this bloke home at all costs. Right. And I beat him home. Poor bloke, he still suffers from shin <laughs> splints today. But that first run and that feeling of like that run as high, I was like, that sucked. But God, I could get bloody used to that. Mm. That win. That was the first win I'd had in ages. First win with my health, I'm like, hold on. Yeah, you'd had real estate like wins win. and
0: that feels a lot better. The For podcast sure. wins, the real estate I mean, the when you like compare your like fitness win, or like your health win, your podcast couple episodes win, mm. and then like selling a million dollar house, what you thought was gonna bring happiness more so mm. was probably the thing that brought the least.
1: For sure. And I'm like, and this cost me nothing. Mm. This literally was like I got to enjoy it with good people. Now I'm having a coffee and a swim. I feel like on top of the world. And so I made a commitment that I'm going to rock up every Sunday to this run group. It's called the Active Boys Run Club. Shout out to the lads and, and the ladies now who now join us. And I rocked up the second week, struggled through, but got it done. On the third week, they said, why don't you come on Wednesday night, a couple of the crew are running a half marathon, just jump on for the last five Ks. And I'm thinking, they're going to be buggered. They're running 16 Ks before. I'll jump on the last five. I'll tap a couple of them on the ass, give them a pep talk, run between the front and the back of the pack. We'll finish strong. Mate, when I seen them moving towards me, I'm like, nah, can't be Then They're moving way too quick. <laughs> they got closer. All the lads have got their shirts off. It's like 8 o'clock at night. They're charging. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble here. Mate, I could barely move for a week. And I thought, I'm not cut out for two 5Ks in a week. Hmm. I'm not. But I somehow got there on the, the Sunday, that discipline. I said I was going to do it. But after that Sunday, something didn't feel right. And I was sitting there enjoying a coffee with the boys and this is where the crisis point of my story this last couple of years comes to, you know, comes to life. I'm sitting there and I thought, oh, my lungs don't feel good. And I coughed. And when I coughed, if anyone's ever like bitten their tongue or bitten the side of their mouth and tasted blood, it's like that metallic taste. As I coughed, I could taste a whole lot of that metallic taste in my mouth. And I thought, I've just coughed up blood. And it was when I was 18 was the last time I'd done this. I'm 24 at the time. It'd been six years. And I didn't want to make a fuss, so I just kind of went to the public toilet there down at the beach and I coughed up a bunch of blood for about two minutes in the sink there at the toilets. And I remember thinking, this isn't good, but maybe if I just like keep sipping on my coffee, it'll stop. It didn't stop. So I ended up in emergency. I went home, went to emergency because I just couldn't Mm. get it to stop or control it. And it wasn't too bad, like I wasn't vomiting it up, but bringing up fresh blood. and. They' done a bunch of tests i'd stabilize they're like all right we think you've just got an infection in your lungs we'll get some advice from the doctors we'll send you home now the bleeding usually happens where an infection inflames some of those scars in the lungs and that scar tissue breaks open and you start to bleed it's very dangerous if it doesn't stop and it starts to get too much like mm. if you if you were to cough up say like more than like a quarter of like a, a drinking cup like you've got to start to be careful that you're not losing too much because you're probably bleeding internally too mm. and you know, then the next two days this happened. It was on the third night. They're like, we've got to keep you in emergency here. We're going to run a bunch of tests. And I'm sitting there going like, fire out. I'm just starting to get healthy. I'm really enjoying this. I've got this crisis point, but I've actually got this sense of hope again because mm. I've shown myself that I can overcome some challenges. I'm running now. And I'm sitting there with my dad. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning and a memory pops up on my phone. And it's a memory of him when I was two years old. He ran a charity event. It was 68 kilometers three days in a row, so 212 wow. Ks for CF and there's a photo of him running across the finish line with a can of twoies (laughs) Mm. and we're laughing about that photo. And I said to my dad, you know what, I'm really starting to enjoy this running thing. And to think that 22 years ago at the time you'd done this thing for people with CF for me, maybe it's my time not just to recover for myself but to show other people that it's possible too. Mm. And I said, you know, I'm going to run a marathon by the end of the year. It was July at the time and so I left hospital That next day, I was on antibiotics for two weeks and checking in with my doctors, and I announced on social media that the minute I can start running again, I'm training for a marathon. It'll be on the 12th of December, the 12th of the 12th 20, because 12 is my lucky number, and I'm going to run it. I'm going to try to raise a little bit of money for CF, but most importantly, I'm going to prove that nothing is impossible for people if they believe enough in themselves, especially people with CF. The world kind of like takes that message, supports me. So I'm like, now it's real. I can't yeah, back out keeps now. Keeps the accountability. Definitely. I've done that with many things Definitely. recently. The CEO of CF Australia at the time, Nettie Burke, rang me and said, mate, we love what you're doing. We want to make this official. So within like a week, it'd become an official council approved event, the first marathon ever in Wollongong's history. Huh. And then I'm going, like, okay, how do I train for a marathon? So I called a really good friend of mine, Benny Seymour, who was actually just an acquaintance at the time and been on my podcast former rugby player turned ultra endurance athlete. And I said to Benny, can I pay you to write me like a weights and running program? And he goes, mate, I don't want to cent off you. I love the cause. Not only am I going to train you every day, I'm going to come you. and run it with you. And I'm like, it's mate, you there, are the man. I oh, just, the, he's just become like a brother to me. He's such a good lad. And so I started to run. And here's a funny thing for a month. I struggled through 5k runs. Now, all of a sudden every week, it's like 7k, 10k, twenty K but the fifth week I've run twenty five Ks. Wow. Because purpose fuels progress. If you find a reason bigger than just going and doing it to try and look good and to shed the dad bod or just cause you know, cause you want to look sharp around the boys, or just cause you want to go for a run for the sake of you're supposed to do that to mm. stay healthy. If you can attach a goal in life to a bigger purpose,
0: mm.
1: it fuels your progress. Yeah,
0: purpose fuels fuels progress. I love that.
1: Bro, it's it's for me, it's become my mantra of life, right? And I found myself then getting super fit i dropped 12 kilos i got a month out from the event i'm charging you i'm like i'm gonna smash this and then massive lung bleed back in emergency they're like we don't think you should run in a month and so i'm lying in the hospital bed and i'm sitting there going well shit i ran 30ks last week and it was fucking hard this is a really good out life has handed me an alley-oop and all i've got to do is slam dunk it and nobody's going to question if i leave Mm. No one's going to question if I walk away because you're sitting in hospital with bleeding lungs. Like what a bloody good excuse. Mm. And I sat there and I thought, but that's not how I'm living my life anymore. I've mm. done that for too long. And the doctor walked in the room and he said, mate, what's going on? And I said, mate, I don't know. My lungs are bleeding, but I've got a bloody marathon to run in a month and you've got to do whatever you can to get me there. And I just knew if I got my feet at the start line, I'd get it done. And so on the 12th of December, 2020, conquered my first marathon it was bloody hard but How's it was that
0: 30 to 42 that's a hectic <laughs> eh? right. i've done you know, you know th- i've done 30 before yeah and i I'd trained a bit for the 30 mm. not even trained i just did it without it being a race i just mm. ran it from palm beach to manly yeah by myself just for fucking bit of fun because i mm. said i'd do it and i kind of ran okay I ran, like maintained consistent five minute k's yeah. like i was good and then I ran the Gold Coast marathon on no training. Yeah. And holy shit, that 30 to 42 mm. was something else. It's different, bro. And I think Because your body uses all the glucose and everything. <sighs> so you need the fuel, like the the fueling yourself is what's yeah. important, the nutrition.
1: And for me, I probably didn't have the greatest confidence going into the event because I'd been sick. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still heavily on antibiotics by this time. But I remember the thing, literally the thing that got me through that last 12Ks was on the day, I'd put some elastoplast on my wrist like a football player would do or an athlete would do, and I wrote a message on my wrist, was, which was, for all you've done, today I'll make you proud. And then on the other side of it, I had dad, mum, and sis. And my dad was next to me on the bike the whole way, and there were 13 of us that ran it. And every time I was in the pain cave, I just looked at that and I ended up getting it tattooed on my wrist on you, man. just after the event. But it was, man, it brought me to tears with four Ks to go. You know, you know you're home by that stage. You know you've got a That's mountain ahead of you. But you're like, you know, I'm gonna make it at any cost, right? I'm crawling across that line if I have to. And I remember just looking down at that man and just starting to well up and just started to cry my eyes out. And I just thought, for me, that day in particular was the most beautiful and personally proud moment of my life. Not because I'd run a marathon, not because we ended up raising a bunch of money for cystic fibrosis Australia, but because the dream that my parents had for me, the dream that my sister shared in in with them was that life would be limitless for me regardless of the challenges I face. And I felt like on that day I proved to them that no matter what comes in, no matter what obstacles are in my way, no matter how life tries to stop me, no matter what knocks me down, I'll get back up and I'll always go again and I'll find a way. And I could almost see a sense of hope in their eyes that day. So it was, man, it was very emotional. Um, crossing the finish line of that first marathon, as only I would, I gave a six-minute speech right after. <laughs> and basically it was my opportunity um, to readdress that doctor's thoughts 24 years ago and I just said, you know, this wasn't supposed to be me. You said that I'd be better off with a terminal illness. That would kill me or I'd get over that. This would ruin my life. And I just said, fucking look at me now. Yeah, good on and you, man. And that's been the start of, you know, I've now run three marathons. I've got the third one i done without bleeding lungs. I felt bloody terrific wow. in melbourne felt sensational and you know i've got 50ks coming up in two weeks amazing so dude it's,
0: it's so cool like that story is just everyone should draw inspiration from that from moments of there's no way you're going to be able to do it to then mm. overcoming and achieving what would have seemed somewhat impossible six months before when you decided to start just doing little runs so what's life look like now what are you doing for work i know you're doing some speaking yeah. stuff This kind of your time to Plug what you're up to, and then, um, yeah, we'll finish with the last question. I'll ask everyone,
1: yeah. So, for me now, a lot to talk about, which is the podcast, um, on all good platforms. Is I'll leave it all in the show notes, yeah. I'll leave my link in the show notes. (laughs) Amazing, (laughs) that was a fun episode. That that was a fun episode. It's mate, that's a big part of what I do. You know, I'm recording every week, I'm releasing every week. Um, 90% of the time, it's guest episodes. Every now and then, I'll get on if I feel like I've got something to say. Um, you know, I'm signed as a keynote speaker and trying to get on stage as often as I can. I also, love MCing. You know, I just love being on stage. The buzz of, you know, making a positive, uplifting, inspiring, and, and fun environment for people. So You'd be like
0: a great host for like yeah, I enjoy TV that stuff now. Like report, not even reporter, but like hosting because you're like quick on your feet. You can tell stories. You connect with people. Man,
1: I, I love that stuff. There's just something beautiful about being in the energy of people and, and making people enjoy an experience mm. where, wherever it is or wherever you know, whatever yeah. platform I'm on. So I love that. And, you know, I'm I'm writing a book, which you know, I'm in contact with a publisher. I've got to send that to them in in gen, which is really the story that you guys have all heard in much yeah. more depth with a bunch more I stories. Wait to read it. Um, which has been really fun. But mate, I'm just in such a good place in my life where I'm, you know, the charity event, which is called 42 for CF, has raised over a hundred thousand dollars now for our cause. And, you know, I was recognized, you know, which I, I'm so grateful, I can't even believe it. I was recognized at Government House. I accepted an award last month for the work I've been doing there with the governor general and his wife and they just life has become what I dreamed to be. And I'm a big dreamer and my Mm. dreams are mate, I'll put it out there. Like I want to be sitting next to Oprah one day, you know, her asking me about my story. You know, I want to be, I want to be at the heights of this, not because I want the accolades, but because I honestly believe that what I've experienced and the hardship that I've felt, I've been so blessed that I had, That positivity. I had great Mm. parents. I had great people around me. Not everyone is as lucky as I was to have those supportive people. But if I can be that hope, if I can be that light in a dark room for people who feel like they need it, well, that's my mission in life, you know, to uplift and inspire hope in others. So that's what work looks like now. And every time I feel like an opportunity comes into my life, I go, do I have the opportunity through that to uplift and inspire hope in others? And if the answer is no, well, then it's not for me right now. But if the answer is yes, well, fuck yeah, let's charge at it.
0: Man, it's so cool to see the direction change. And then also it's like I like to think of it like before you said like it's all well and good to achieve goals, but if it's not aligned with your purpose, it's, like, not fulfilling anyway. It's like almost we live on, like, a compass and there's goals all around the compass, but our purpose is only heading in one direction. For you, it might be north. For me, it might be east. Mm. But if you're not heading in that direction of what truly matters to you, then it doesn't matter what goals you tick off. You're not going to feel that sense of purpose, and it's amazing that you're in that – feels like you're definitely heading that direction. I feel the same way too, and I just hope from everyone out there that they can at least – build the self-awareness to understand mm. whether they are heading in that right direction or not.
1: And, and on that, Coop, I think everyone deserves that. Yeah. Me, no, I think that was kinda... pe- people think that like, oh, purpose is just for the people who found it or get to do the fancy jobs or the different stuff. Like no matter what you do, you have the opportunity to serve others every day. Mm. And it may not look like you want it to look right now, but if you can find a way to make it work for you, to make your purpose work through whatever situation you're in, I guarantee mm. that life, only gets a little bit richer and only a little bit more exciting, and and opportunities will fall at your feet.
0: Mm, yeah, if you're not heading in the right direction, those opportunities aren't going to fall at your feet. So it's sure. so important to like have that compass kind of moving until Definitely. you get in the right direction. Mate, it's been incredible getting to know your story. It's it's appreciate phenomenal. It. I think, you, like I said before, you are one of the better storytellers I've ever chatted to, which is I just good fun. It makes it very easy for me. I just ask a few little <laughs> questions and you take the take the stand, which is great. But the last question I do finish every Good Humans podcast with is, what does being a good human mean to Brad Drybra?
1: I, lo- I love that question. You know, I've, I've listened to your pod a bunch of times and I thought about that on the way up today. What does that mean to me? And, you know, being a good human to me is – recognizing that, you know, as we've heard so many times, the cliche, life is not a dress rehearsal. There's a quote that I love that is the Dalai Lama, so it's going to make me sound smarter than I am, but every man has two lives. The second begins when he realizes he only has one. And I think a good human recognizes that this is a one-time thing. There are no restarts, there are no redos, but we have these little magical things called today's and tomorrows. And when you have today's, you have the opportunity to wake up be grateful for the people that you are in your life, to be grateful for the fact that, you know, if you have air in your lungs and a heartbeat, you have more than some have. Mm. And with that, you have the opportunity to be kind, to give love to others without the expectation of love in return, to find purpose, to form purpose. And I think you actually have to create it as opposed to find it Mm. and then allow that purpose to serve others. And then if you are lucky enough to then have tomorrows, you have the opportunity to do that all over again. And the world is a better place when you are kind, when you find meaning and allow that to serve others, and when you get to wake up with a smile on your face and just know that the essence of being a good human is all you ever need to be in life.
0: Mate, that was so well put, far out of, I've asked that question to a lot of people and I think that was probably the most eloquent answer I've heard. I appreciate so, that, mate. Mate, it's been, like I said, a pleasure getting to catch up. Last thing, where can anyone find you if they want to um, check out the pod, your keynote stuff, do you have a website, obviously social yeah. media, now's your time to plug it. I will leave it all in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah. Um, as you said in the show notes, if you head to my Instagram, at Bradley J. Um, it says the captain, sounds egotistical, there's a whole backstory to that that we won't get into today. <laughs> Um, but it's kind of the home of everything I do, everything I do keynote wise, podcast wise, I share on that platform. I love, like, I love anyone who listened to today's show to, to send me a message and connect. Like, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and hear about, you know, the challenges that maybe you're facing in life. What are things that you think you'd like to share with me? Um, means the world when people connect. And, you know, lastly, I I don't want to plug myself anymore, but I want to say to you, Coop, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a blessing you know, what feels like a lifetime ago now, but only a couple of months ago to have you on mine. And there have been things from that show that I have regurgitated and repeated on many occasions um, and given you credit for, by the way, because you deserve it, um, <laughs> that have had an impact on me. One being a quote that you love, and I've heard you say it on a few apps. Um, the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. And as I tackle the challenges that are present in my life right now that is a mantra that sits at the front of my mind every time I feel there's a roadblock or a a challenge questioning my confidence that's in front of me so I want to say thank you for the good work you do I think you are a good human and Mate, you deserve all the success in the world. So I hope nice. things get moving
0: in the right responses. direction. That's very nice. Um, for Mate, you my to, pleasure. To you deserve that. It. I appreciate it. And yeah, like I said, if you want to get in touch with Brad, I will leave all the stuff in the show notes. Send him a message. He's an incredible, um, incredibly open person, willing to share his story and yeah, listen to yours as well. So please reach out to both of us. Um share this around on your Instagram stories. And yeah, thanks so much for jumping on, Legend.
1: Mate, it's a pleasure. Nothing's impossible, guys. So chase dreams, dream big and